The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Christopher Steiner, uh, who is a, a staff writer at uh, Forbes magazine. Uh, he is also the author of a new book uh, called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Chris. Hi. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, let's just start off with the basic uh, premise uh, of this quite amazing book, which really is revolutionary the way it makes people think about the world. Let's start off with why gasoline is going to rise so dramatically. Maybe we'll take supply and demand separately. Let's start with supply of oil. Uh, I mean, people say that uh, there's, there's too much oil out there now, that there are tankers waiting, there's no place to unload them. We've had major new discoveries in the Gulf of Mexico and off Brazil and right, uh, right, the, right. the tar sands uh, of Canada. So tell us a little bit about the long-term supply situation for oil. Well, I think what, what you just said is key, long-term. Short-term, certainly, there is a slight surplus. Uh, you know, demand is down because of the economic uh, situation we find ourselves in. And uh, but, but that being said, it's not as if demand isn't eating up almost all supply, as it were. Um, and as far as the new discoveries go, I mean, that, that, that discovery last week by BP in the Gulf of Mexico has been trumpeted as a very big deal, of course. It's 3 billion barrels of oil is the field. They say about a third of that will be recoverable, which is optimistic, and that would make it a billion barrels of oil to the market. And what's a billion barrels to the market? Well, it's really not much. It's a big deal to BP and, and its shareholders because that oil is worth right now $70 billion. But to the rest of the world, this is not going to make a dent. That's a billion barrels of oil. The United States uses 7 billion barrels of oil in a year. So that, that oil, if we could get it out as fast as we wanted, and we can't, would last us less than two months. Uh, so as far as the long-term price thing goes, uh, this oil is completely... Uh, it doesn't affect the market at all. Uh, what it does affect, of course, is uh, BP's future income statement. So it's good for BP. It's good for their shareholders. Other than that, it has no effect on anything. And I, I don't know if you saw um, in July the International Energy Agency, which is an independent, totally unbiased agency out of uh, Paris, um, their head economist came out and said, for the first time, the, the IEA is generally pretty bullish on oil supply. They said uh, two months ago that... Um, they expect to see peak oil production to happen within the next 10 years, and that depletion of our major fields right now is much more aggressive than they had earlier thought. And they had pegged that now at 7% depletion rates rather than 3%. Do you think we're already uh, at peak oil now? I mean, have we already passed peak oil, do you think? I think we're right in the neighborhood. You know, I, whether or not we've actually gotten to the year where we produce more barrels per day, I think, I think we're very close. Maybe you know right now we're gonna we're producing less now than we did in 05, and 05 was so far the peak. Will we get back to that level? I don't I don't really know, but I I, I am a firm believer that if we haven't got there, we'll be there within the next 15 years. Uh, but so 
so supply it, it's pretty clear. No no one's on record saying supply is going to go way way up. You know, even the bulls are saying, okay, maybe we'll add 10 million barrels a day uh, over the next 20 years. Uh, but but most people don't really believe that. So even um, like the, the tar sands in Canada, which people say is a major new source of supply, isn't that significant? You think? It is. It it, it is very significant. Uh, it's certainly more significant than the uh, than the Gulf of Mexico. But you see, um, go, the problem is how many of our big current supplies are already falling off into decline. You talk about Mexico's giant field. You talk about Saudi Arabia's giant field. You talk about Iraq and Iran and Russia. Most of those big fields are in decline. Iraq actually isn't, so I take that one out. But all the other ones are. And uh, the head of the IEA went on to say, for us to keep up with just demand at where it's at over the next 30 years, we have to find, production-wise, three more Saudi Arabias. For us to keep up with demand as projected, we need to find six Saudi Arabias. That's not in the total quantity of oil. That's in the amount of oil produced per day. And uh, that's, that's pretty compelling stuff right there. So you're saying that's impossible, actually. There's just no way that's ever going to happen. Well, we're not going to find six more Saudi Arabias. I mean, uh, you know, the stuff we find now, the stuff we make a big deal about, it's nothing. I mean, a billion barrels of recoverable oil, that, and that's a big find. That's just, it's just nothing compared to the big fields we used to find 50, 60, 70 years ago. The United States oil production peaked in 1970. We started, you know, our peak, per, our, our peak for discovery was in the 1930s. And then peak bird production was in the 1970s, and we've been in a steep decline ever since, even with Alaska coming online uh, in the late 70s. And there aren't other places around the world uh, that haven't been off of Indonesia, or off water, or, you know, deep water, all those kind of things that could make up the difference, even though they're more expensive. You know, anything's possible. But right now, I, I think you have to – the oil companies in these countries are very good at exploring, and the stuff they're coming up with just – isn't like it used to be. I mean, you know, a big find here, a big find there, it's just not enough. Because uh, I, think, I think what we have to do now is talk about some, is demand. Yes. And, uh, well, even, you know, even if we're able to keep supply steady, and I think uh, most, most indicators point that we won't be able to, uh, but even if it stays steady, demand is, is giant and burgeoning. I think we've all heard the cliches about the rising middle classes in India and China, and those cliches are true. Right now you have a billion people on the earth using, uh, living American-style lives. Uh, and that includes us in America. By 2040, you're going to have 3 billion people in the world living American-style lives. So that's a tripling of the number of people standing in line with us at the world's oil spigot. And, and those people's right to the oil is just as, as virtuous as ours because most of the oil is not coming from here, as you remember. So we're going to be competing with that many more people in the future for what probably isn't much or any more oil uh, as far as production goes. So, uh, you know, some things have to change as far as how we consume oil. Uh, right now, what, the way we consume oil is patently unsustainable. Um, for, furthermore, on, if you consider China, just for instance, by itself, right now the United States has 750 cars per thousand uh, residents. Well, in China, what do you think the number is? Number of cars per thousand residents. Something it's, like it's four not, or something <laughs> Well, what do you think? I think it's about four, maybe, something like that. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's four. Right. It's four. So you've seen the statistic. So we have 750 cars. They have four per thousand people. Uh, that's, that's dramatic. Let's say China over the next you know, several decades gets to even half of our ratio. Now, and that's pretty bullish for China, but let's say it happens. That's 500 million new vehicles on the roads of the world. That's at, like adding two more United States worth of vehicles uh, to the world. And that's, you know, 
they, those vehicles don't only need oil to run, but of course, to do all the things that go into making a car takes a great, great amount of oil. And uh, you consider the fact that this is a this is a reality that could come true. The United States, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the car era, has always been the largest car market in the world. Well, guess who passed us during six months of this year? China. China. <laughs> yes. They they sold 6.1 million cars in the first six months of uh, 2009, and, and that was uh, beyond our own numbers. So what are they, the bottom line numbers on production and demand uh, now and like five years from now? Kind of give us a sense of how that balance is going to change. You know, I, I really can't predict five years is a pretty short uh, time segment, and it all depends on how the global economy bounces back, if it continues to bounce back. You know, I think that if the global economy can recover and stay on the path that it was, say, three years ago, I think we'll see 5 $6 gasoline. I think that'll happen. I do think there'll be demand destruction at those types of points, and, and, and which will bring us back. But uh, you know, each time we push a new number, new technologies come into the market that allow us to continue to build our economies at higher prices of oil. But right now, a lot of those technologies are on the sidelines because the price of oil is two. Well, the price of gasoline is two dollars and fifty cents. So it doesn't make sense for those technologies to enter the marketplace. So you're but saying, in a certain way, it's kind of self-defeating. The low oil price today, the low gasoline price. Well, uh, is actually retarding uh, the development of the technologies we're going to need when oil prices start going up a lot. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely keeps things out of the market, I think, especially in the United States. Uh, with what we have for a developed Western country, we have extremely low oil prices, uh, low gasoline prices compared to our brethren in Europe, uh, who have more gas-saving and different types of technologies that are more parts of their lives right now than they are here in the United States. And that's purely because... You know, Belgium or Germany, you might go pay eight or nine dollars for a gallon of gasoline. Well, in the United States, you're paying two fifty. When, when oil went up last year from two or so to four dollars a gallon, uh, what kind of behaviors changed that might uh, give us a precursor of what would happen in the future when gasoline prices go even much higher than four dollars a gallon? And this is interesting stuff. I've always been interested in how gas prices affect behavior, and that's that's why I wrote the book and. Last summer was pretty amazing. I think if you recall when we went to $2 gasoline back in 2002, whatever it was, I remember thinking that was a really big deal. Uh, but apparently it wasn't because nobody changed their behavior largely. And $3, again, nobody cared. Uh, people grumbled, but nobody really cared. Now last year, $4 gasoline, what happened? Well, all hell broke loose. Uh, obviously, you couldn't sell your SUV for $0.20 cents on the dollar. You couldn't buy a Prius or anything close to sticker price. People were being almost downright irrational uh, in some regards. But Americans drove 100 billion less miles in 2008 than they did in 2007. And that's an amazing statistic when you consider the fact that for 30 years, America always drove more miles the next year than the previous. And then all of a sudden, we fall off a cliff and drive 100 billion less miles. And that was because of the high price of gas last year. So it's clear that uh, $4.00 for a lot of people, was a tipping point in how they live their lives. And I think the question is, what other tipping points are out there? You know, at what point uh, do, does the airline games chain, change? At what point do high, does high-speed rail pick up a lot more adherence than kind of the train aficionados that it has now? All right, we're going to get into this in more detail after the break. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, Christopher Steiner, who's a, a staff writer at Forbes magazine. 
His new book is called $20 per gallon, how the inevitable rise in the price of gasoline will change our lives for the better. Uh, we're going to go dollar by dollar and see how things change as uh, the price of gasoline goes up to, to levels that today would probably be unimaginable. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and we'll be, at, we'll be back right after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Mark of the Fraud by Royd Head. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. This hour is Christopher Steiner, uh, who is a staff writer at Forbes. Uh, his new book is called $20 per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. Uh, welcome back to the show, Chris. Thank you. So the way you organize the book is based on $2 increments in gas, starting basically at $6 and then going all the way up to, uh, to 20 So why don't we just, right. we won't have a chance to get through all of it, but why don't we get a, ch- a, a kind of a sense 
uh, when prices go to $6 a gallon, what is the major change that's going to affect uh, the world at that point? Uh, I, I think there's just a panoply of things that happen at $6, and I think some of our continuations of what we start to see at $4. Uh, and some of them are rather interesting. Uh, when you talk about, say, America's obesity rate and how it relates to the price of gas, I, I think at some level people may think, yeah, it might have something to do with it, but it, it certainly does. There's a professor at the University of North Carolina, Charles Cartermont, who has linked the price of gas to America's obesity rate. And uh, his study shows that for every uh, dollar the price of gasoline goes up, the number of obese people in America will decrease by 10%. And that's, you know, for a sustained dollar rise in the price of gas. Uh, And going beyond that to say something like air pollution, I think we all associate cars with air pollution, but we don't realize that they're actually uh, responsible for half of the particulate matter in our air. And uh, the particulate matter is the really bad stuff for humans. That's what causes heart attacks, asthma, chronic bronchitis, all those types of things. And it's responsible, according to uh, the American Lung Association, for 25,000 deaths in the United States every year. And as I said, cars are responsible for half of that. Well, if, if we're driving 100 billion less miles, certainly we're emitting that much less fumes from our tailpipes. And for every dollar the price of gas goes up, according to a professor at the University of California, uh, we save uh, almost 1,000 lives, um, actually 1,200 lives. So let's but, say the, on the, obesity the price front, goes up two bucks, that's 2,500 lives. On the obesity front, it's because people are walking more? Or why does it make such a big uh, deal on obesity? Obesity, okay, so that, uh, you go to the fact that oil stayed low uh, over most of the last 30 years. We've only had a spike here in the last six or seven years. And what happened in America over those 30 years is that the size of the average house went from 1,600 square feet to 2,600 square feet, and the, the average commute went from under 20 minutes to over 40 minutes. So what happens is people stopped walking now, certainly some people still do, but a lot of people who used to say, get out of their house, walk down the street, get on a train, get off the train, walk to their job, and get, say, two miles of walking every day over the course of 10 years, doing that every day, every day, every day. Well, those people now are have moved further out because they can afford to go travel to this much larger house and have more room, but instead of walking anywhere, they get out of their bed, they have breakfast in their kitchen, they walk into their garage, sit down in their car and drive their job, get out of their car and sit in their desk. And they do that every day for 10 or 20 years. That makes a big difference. I mean, that's, that could be 40 or 50 pounds on a person. And, you know, a lot of these new developments, they don't even have sidewalks. Or if they do, they're glorified dog paths. They don't go anywhere. People don't walk to do normal things. They get in the car, and that kind of American experience is only intensified over the last 30 years. And a lot of it has to do with, well, it didn't really cost anything nominally to use the car that often. Well, now, of course, that paradigm is changing. You talk in the the $6 a gallon chapter about the death of the SUV. This has been a major source of profits for the car companies for a long time. How are the the car companies going to survive and be profitable if they don't have the SUV anymore? Well, clearly they've had to cope with that over the last two years, and that's that's what's sent GM into bankruptcy. And it, it's what's put all three of our American car makers on the ledge, is the fact that they weren't moving millions of SUVs every year. Uh, I mean, if you read the book, you know that uh, Ford was selling so many expeditions that they had a they had a factory in Michigan called the Michigan Truck Plant that actually grossed $11 billion in revenue one year and made $4 billion in profits. That was one factory. 
that one factory actually had the same revenues as McDonald's as a global corporation had that one year. Uh, so, so clearly SUVs uh, were the path to profits. The SUVs bailed out the American car makers. They were in bad shape in the early 1990s. And then all along came the Ford Explorer. And they were able to capitalize on that trend better and faster than the Japanese did. Now, certainly the Japanese jumped in, with Toyota did, Nissan did, but they still kept their other foot in small cars, which has enabled them to stay more nimble here in the bad markets we've seen over the last two years. How, how are American car companies going to make money? I think, I think that's the golden question. Uh, GM's given it a shot. Let's hope that uh, you know, some of their smaller cars take off and that people have gotten over some of the older quality foibles that are in their past. And I do think they're making better cars now, but it's very hard to change the way people think about you uh, that quickly. You also talk in the era of $6 gas, uh, how there will be much more widespread uh, tolls on the, on the roads to pay for infrastructure. Uh, how will that work? Well, we have, we have a serious disconnect between gas tax and what it costs to keep up our roads. The federal gas tax is 18.4 cents. It was put in place in the early 1990s, and it hasn't moved since. It hasn't even pegged to inflation. So last year, when Americans drove 100 billion less miles and bought that much less gasoline, the, the government received that much less tax because they didn't sell those gallons of gasoline that they normally did. Well, they needed more money, in fact, last year, because when the price of gas goes up, the price of building roads goes up almost in tandem because, of course, asphalt is an oil-derived substance. And, of course, all the, all the machines on, in the road-building crews use gasoline, too. So right when they needed more money, the government got less. So what politicians are either going to have to raise the gas tax in order to keep the highway fund solvent, and, of course, it's gone bankrupt the last two years. So and that's something that hadn't happened before. They either got to raise the gas tax or put in tolling structures in different cities and different states to keep up these roads. And right now it looks like politicians are going to opt for the tolls, even though it's a much more expensive and cumbersome way to pay for roads, but it's more politically feasible because people don't want to see a new gas tax, even though that would be much easier to implement. You also talk about the, the death of the uh, school bus and how uh, schools will rearrange their athletic schedules to, to drive less at $6 gasoline. How would that work? Well, we saw that happen at $4. Uh, there, was, there were districts here in Illinois. They rearranged a high school football playoffs here in Illinois, as well as I think they did the same thing in Alabama and Tennessee and in several other states, to not pair school. They didn't. They, they stopped seeding schools based on the regular season and just started seeding them on location because all the fans and the schools were upset about having to drive, say, 200 miles to go play one game when team in the playoffs very close to them. So gasoline, just at $4, played a large role in how high school state playoffs are run. And I think if we saw 6 or $7 gas, you'd see even more radical changes, maybe less classes of, uh, of schools as far as the size of them goes, less championships. Uh, and, of course, school buses in general, you saw districts in New Washington, D.C., in Virginia, and in California, some of them abolished busing altogether, and some of them raised the limit at which students had to walk from. Kids who li- usually live within a mile of the school or so don't get bused. They have to find their own way to school. And some of the schools bump that limit out to a mile and a half or two miles. And I think 
they're going to push that limit even further as we get the six and seven dollars per gallon. And in a lot of districts, I think they're just going to get a robusting because it's so unaffordable to maintain. They they have to treat it as a fixed price cost, but it, in reality, it's not, not. There's nothing fixed about it when the price of gasoline is going up quickly. And so it's a major uh, budget item for the schools that they they will have to cut if it gets that expensive. You're saying, right, yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's move on to eight dollar a gallon gas, and and your headline for that. Uh, chapters, the skies will empty. What will happen to the airlines when we get to $8 a gallon gas? Well, I think you're going to see all the inefficient models that we're used to uh, cease to exist. And I, that means American, United, Northwest, Delta, they'll all go out of business. I think they'll leave the skies to uh, JetBlue and Southwest. I think those will be the two remaining carriers of consequence in the United States, just because, and they'll be suffering too, most certainly, but they're more nimble and able to adjust their structures to higher price gasoline. And if you think about what happened last summer when gas was $4, those legacy airlines were spending 40% of their costs on jet fuel. They built out their networks with the understanding that jet fuel would cost them 10 to 15% of their operational costs. Well, last year it was at 40%. So if we go to, if we go to 6 or $8 gasoline, you're talking 60 70% of operational costs going to jet fuel. That is not sustainable. And unfortunately, what this means is that traveling by plane will become a lot more expensive. It probably should already be a lot more expensive. None of these airlines are making any money right now. There's so much excess capacity in the skies, even though they've been coming down on it. And the government has allowed a lot of these carriers to stay in business, even though clearly when they've gone into bankruptcy and shown over and over and over again that they can't run a sustainable business, I think $8, dollars $8 gasoline will be the final toll for most of these airlines. Flying to New York, San Francisco will no longer be $300. People won't do it like they jump in a cab, which is how they treat it now. It's going to be more like $1,000. And people who need to fly are going to be able to fly. But it's not going to be something all of us do five or six times a year purely for pleasure. So that will really change society if people are not that mobile. Will they just not make these trips at all, or they'll do it? They're not be able to drive it with that cost. Will they be doing it by train, or how will people get around? Well, I think people people will still drive. Uh, certainly, you know, for trips under a thousand miles, it, it'll it'll be more expensive. But uh, you won't take the frivolous road trip that you do now. Probably some people. Some people who have to fly will be able to fly, though. I don't think our networks are going to go away. I think business uh, trips will stick around, but it's, they're going to have to be important trips. Uh, when, when it's $1,000 instead of 250 it makes people think. But I also think it's going to affect things like Las Vegas, things like Disney World, where they depend on cheap air traffic to get people in. Without that lifeline, those places just don't make sense. I think the Vegas Strip will stick around, but I think half of its older hotels are probably closed. Uh, and Disney World, boy, um, I think Disney has a fine future as a company, but their theme parks, at least the one in Florida, they can't they can't depend on uh, Florida day trippers to keep them open. So when the whole, when it costs five thousand dollars to get your whole family down to Disney World, I just don't think you're going to see the kind of volume it needs to stay open. And this is true with other resorts uh, around the world, as far as ski resorts and beach resorts. You know, it's all based on cheap gas. You're saying. Uh, a lot of them are. I think, you know, the more remote and, in, in some cases, the bigger these operations tend to be, uh, the more they're going to be hurt. I think, you know, you talk about, say, some of the Colorado resorts that are close to Denver, I think that will save a lot of them. But they're going to see their, their big business, the big spenders, the people from the East Coast and California, 
they're going to lose a lot of that business. Uh, so I think, you know, the, we're all very used to ski resorts being very glitzy, ritzy places. I think they'll kind of come back to where they used to be in the 70s and the 80s, which is more of a family-oriented type thing where everything's not $100 because they can't afford to do that anymore because that money, by and large, comes from out state. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christopher Steiner, who is a writer at Forbes magazine, uh, whose new book is called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. So far, we've only gotten to $8 a gallon. You'll see it gets more interesting as we go up here. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network to grow your business listen for the independent business owner show with your coach rick carrado this entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business you'll learn sales success time management lead generation business development life balance and much more rick carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level listen for the independent business owner show heard live every monday morning at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific on the voice america business network Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Mic check, one, two. Big poser coming to you fake yeah. than ever. Got no more games since nah. I got with the juice. Uh-uh. No cruising with my friends, they cut me loose. Now my coach is hating, parents keep berating. Good thing my team's still behind me saying. Hey, yo, what happened to my teammates, man? Yo, where y'all at, man? Come on, man. I thought we were family. Ugh, don't be a poser. Hear more at don'tbeanasterisk.com. Brought to you by Ad Council and the U.S. Olympic Committee. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christopher Steiner, who's a staff writer at Forbes magazine. His new book is called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Yes, sir. Is there a, a website related to the book that people can find out more about it? Sure. Uh, they can go to 20pergallon.com or they can go to my blog, which is uh, thesteinerpost.com. Very good. 
Okay, so we've gone through $8 a gallon. We've pretty much wiped out most of the airlines now. Uh, now we're getting up to $10 uh, a gallon, and you talk about the car diminished but reborn, and you talk about your trip on a UPS vehicle that was a little bit different. Tell us about that. Well, UPS was, was nice enough to let me work on one of their trucks in Manhattan for a day, and, and they gave me a great uniform and uh, set me up with a, with a wonderful driver, and we went out and did the route in uh, Lower Soho. And it was a normal UPS route. The only difference is that the truck we were on was fully electric, and they use this truck every day. So it's not a hybrid. It's actually they plug it in every night and then send it out in the city, and it does. It looks exactly the same as a normal UPS truck, except it doesn't have the diesel rumble of a normal UPS truck. And uh, I had a, I had a wonderful day, but but the, the example in the book kind of goes to show how UPS here's a company that is completely tethered. To gasoline, they need it to run their network. Without gas, UPS just doesn't work whatsoever. But they're very cognizant of this fact, and they're, they have this giant arm of the company that is continually working to figure out ways to mitigate their oil use. And they basically know at what prices of gas they can start to bring in other technology profitably. So they've been using this electric truck that you have two of them in Manhattan, and then some more in London and Paris. They know and what routes across the world, they can bring in these electric trucks and use them effectively at, say, prices of $6 per gallon or $7 per gallon gas. So they're, they're just waiting for the price of gas to go up. They certainly don't want it to happen, but they're preparing. They're not burying their heads in the sand. They know what technology they can bring online. They know how much those trucks cost them. They know what hurdle points they have to hit in order to bring that new technology in. And I think... Uh, there's a lot of businesses in America who are doing things like this, but there's a lot of them who aren't. And I think the winners in a more oil-scarce world are going to be the UPSs of the world rather than the people who haven't prepared. So you're saying it does not make sense for UPS to convert their fleet to electric today. It does, it's still not economically sensible where gasoline is today, but in the it's future... Not, no, at $2.50, uh, it does not make sense. I think if, if you saw sustained prices of 4 or $5, you'd start to see UPS switch a lot of their shorter city routes to electric and electric hybrids. And they have hybrids, too, that they've tested in Atlanta and Detroit, among other cities. And they, they know the routes that they can use these on at certain gas prices. And, you know, as the price of that technology comes down and as the price of gas goes up, they're going to work more and more trucks. Of the, they have 90,000 trucks total in, uh, in the uh, on the earth, and more and more of those routes will become uh, staffed by technology, uh, trucks with technology like hybrid and electric. So what is the long-term future for electric cars uh, for the average individual? I mean, is the infrastructure there today to allow people to do electric cars, or it has to be built? Well, certainly the infrastructure isn't there for every person on your block to have an electric car, just because we couldn't have every person on your block plugging in at night and drawing 220 volts uh, at as many amps as it takes to charge an electric car because it would just send our electric system crashing. But the good news is that everybody in your block isn't going to buy an electric car right now. And I do think that there are some great companies out there, like Chiagas, he's Better Place, I'm sure you've heard of him, uh, who are putting together software and hardware to manage the kind of loads that electric cars will place on our electric grid. So there are ways to get around some of the physical limitations. I do think electric cars will play a big role in our future, but I don't think that it's going to be, okay, 
eventually everyone's just going to get electric cars and we'll keep on living like we're living because electric cars are extremely expensive right now. The price of the battery in most cases is almost $30,000. And for even if the price were to come down of the whole car to, say, 30000 that's the whole vehicle, that's more than most people can afford. Most A lot of people buy used cars, or they buy cars for $15,000 or $10,000, and there won't be a used electric car market, maybe ever, because the problem is, of course, a used electric car has a used battery, and the battery is 75% of the cost. So what are people going to do in the future if they can't get a used electric car cheap? We're well, going to take the path of least resistance, and that leads people to move to places where they don't need three cars, where they can walk to the store, where their kids can walk to school, and where they can catch a train to work, or maybe they can even walk to work. And I think that kind of life, which offers a lot of qualities to it that a lot of Americans have forgot about, I think that is in the future for a lot more of us. You talk about um, a guy named Agassi who has a, a company called Better Place. Tell us what he's done or is doing to help uh, allow more of the grid to accept electric cars. Well, Shai Agassi's idea is basically that you don't buy the electric car. Well, that you don't buy the battery, that you just buy the electric car, and you leave the battery the better place. He, his, his, analogy, his analogy is he is the cell phone company that gives you the minutes to drive your electric car. So they own the battery, you lease the battery, and pay for the time you drive the car, but you buy the car. But that saves you from having to worry about batteries that wear out. And also, his eventual vision has your city, being in Chicago or San Francisco or wherever, being full of these better place outlets where if you're driving around and you're running low on your charge, but you have to keep driving, you don't have time to go home and recharge because it takes three or four hours, you drive into a better place like outlet, which is, will be kind of like a jiffy lube, and they basically change out your battery and put a brand new fresh one in there and you just drive off. And that would take two or three minutes, about the same amount of time as it takes you to fill up your gas tank right now. So that's kind of how he sees the future. But there's a lot of things in his way. Uh, he, is, he does have uh, some small programs in place in Israel and in Denmark and another, uh, another budding one in Japan uh, where they're trying to get this off the ground. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of techn- technological uh, hurdles he has to get by to make this uh, appealing to larger audiences. Well, I guess another alternative out there today is the zip car, right, where you kind of rent your car and take it from one place to another. Do you think that has a lot of potential to cut back on use of cars? Oh, I think zip cars are going to grow uh, by leaps and bounds, if not that company, but at least that concept. Just because I know people like me, uh, we don't live in the core of the city of Chicago, but we live in Evanston, which is a very walkable neighborhood on uh, just north of the city's, uh, city's border on the North Shore here. My family, we have one car. Uh, we walk almost everywhere. We put about five or 6,000 miles on a car every year. That's about it. Uh, but, you know, there are times when, say, we need a bigger car to move something. Well, we have an enterprise rent-a-car one block from us. We just rent a pickup or a van and, and move what we had to move, and, and we're done with it. You know, we don't have to own the second big car. We have one small car that we need, and I think more and more families are going to come to live that type of lifestyle than, say, the family that has two or three or cars out in a further uh, a suburb that's further out. Let's go to the next area, which is $12 gasoline. Now things are getting pretty serious here. You talk about urban revolution and suburban decay. What is going to happen to the suburbs when you get gas up to $12 a gallon? Well, I think, I think you know, some of these eggs are 
that haven't prepared for a future where they have to have they have to be more than bedroom communities. And right now, our country's full of bedroom communities that are 50, 60 miles outside the city, but who full of people who commute more than an hour in each direction to go to work. There's five million Americans who do that. Uh, and in fact, I'm sorry, there's five million Americans who commute 90 minutes in each direction to work. Uh, those types of places just aren't going to survive unless they morph, and some of them aren't morphing. And when I say morph, I mean they have to build centers of density. They have to give themselves some kind of economic gravity, some reason to exist, other than the fact that people just sleep there, because people aren't going to want to sleep there or own there when they have to go so far to do anything. And I think you're already seeing that effect in some places, let's say at the edges of Riverside, California, where most of those people are commuting 45 minutes or more in each direction. That's one of the areas of the, wor- of the country that was built out most recently, is farther from a lot of things. And, well, what happened over the last two years in the housing bust, its prices have fallen almost 50%. People haven't recovered, and these places aren't bouncing back. People don't want those homes, and nobody's going to want those homes in 25 years, I don't think. So I think $12 per gallon gas is kind of the point of no return for a lot of these towns. I do think people will live in them. I don't think people will want to live in them. There's a great story on the front of the uh, New York Times today about this town in Kansas. Uh, basically, everyone in the town is like, if I could go somewhere else, I could. And that wasn't a suburb. It was because of some mining pollution. But I think that same kind of attitude is going gonna, is gonna to be what you see in those types of places. While there will be the decline of the exurbs, you'll say there will be a revitalization of center cities. And you particularly talk about a new uh, city being built in South Korea called uh, New Songdo City. Why don't you talk That's about right, that city. As, a, as an alternative uh, to the way things are going to go instead? Right, and uh, Nisanga City is fascinating just because it's a city from scratch. You know, land around Seoul in South Korea is so valuable and so scarce. There really isn't any land around Seoul that isn't mountains or sea. Uh, it, it's so valuable that the government took a bunch of rubble from the close-by mountain range, threw it into the sea, and made another 2,000 acres. And that is where they're building New Songdo City right now, from scratch. It is a city from scratch, knowing everything we know about how cities have been built in the past and having a very large budget and knowing what we know about future resources. The South Koreans are building a city from scratch. Well, what does that city look like? You know, it looks like a lot like a mini midtown Manhattan is what it looks like. It's, it's a bunch of very high-density, tall buildings built around a very nice, well-sculpted Central Park, and there are uh, there are subway stations all around the city. There are parking lots for people who want cars underneath the buildings. And what they've done is stacked this incredible density on top of the Central Park that enables you know kind of it's it's kind of a release valve for that density. And I think you see people in New York who live within walking distance of Central Park really feel they have an added virtue to their lives. A lot of people say in a density that doesn't have that, don't have. And we've learned, South Korea learned, from all the cities of the past, and they took the best of all of them when they made New Songdo City, and I think that kind of model is going to be very important going into the future, uh, mixing density with, with open space that's communal. All these things take many years. I mean, you say that this is going to be opened in uh, five years or so, this 2015, so right. all the things you're talking about are going to take decades to happen. And meanwhile, the price of gasoline seems like it's going to rise a lot faster. So that could cause some real problems, I assume. 
Well, I, I do think, you know, say $12 per gallon, I think that's probably more than 10 years into the future. And the good news is that in the United States, we have a lot of cities that have kind of been neglected and uh, just people just moved out. When you talk about Detroit, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Cleveland, these are places that have lost more than 50% of their population over the last 50 years. Well, I think they're going to get it back. And I think, you know, we're not going to build a new Songo City in the United States because we have old Songo City here. Yes. That being Detroit or Pittsburgh, it's places with great old existing infrastructure, places with big buildings with nobody in them, places with existing bridges, existing grids. I think those cities will be repopulated. They will be regentrified. Okay. And we, we have they, to go to a break. A lot of their greatness will be uh, reattained. Very good. Okay, we're going to go to a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Christopher Steiner, whose new book is called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christopher Steiner, uh, who's written a new book called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise in the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Uh, Thank you. Before we get to, we're, we're kind of at $14 a gallon, but before we get to that, why don't you just briefly tell us about some of the investment implications of rising gas prices? What are some areas that you would want to be investing in, and what are some areas you'd want to be staying away from if you're a long-term investor? Well, I think one of the things you have to that immediately pops to mind, of course, with the title of my book is, is oil. Uh, and I think if you're if you're in the oil market long term, you're you're going to end up doing very well if you're if you're betting long, and especially when you see opportunities like we saw over the winter when oil went down to thirty five dollars a barrel. I mean that was a slam dunk. I mean everybody knew. It couldn't stay at $35 a barrel long-term, sure. It, short-term, you might feel like you're getting hurt, but if you hold on, even to some of these inefficient instruments, you know, the exchange-traded ETFs uh, that deal with the oil futures, you're going to make out very, very well because $35 per, gallon, uh, per barrel is a ridiculous price. And, you know, maybe we see that again. Maybe we see another economic slowdown two or three years. The price of oil goes down. I just think if if you keep your eye, if you watch the oil market and you get down to under fifty dollars per barrel again in the next six months, I think you just you just hop on. That's an easy bet to play. And so you would like uh, the big that, the big integrated ahead. oil companies is a way to play that as well. That's one way to play it, but you know uh, you'd have to do more research on that because I, I can't tell you which ones are the best bets there. And also, you look at Exxon, uh, it's, not, oh, it's not easy to tell what's going to happen. I mean, they made that big find in the Gulf last week, and it didn't really affect their stock price too much. Uh, and also, the thing that I would worry about, uh, not Exxon, it was BP, I'm sorry. But, but companies like BP, some of these Western oil companies, they have a smaller and smaller role in some of the big fields in the world. Uh, their reserves are dwindling, whereas the reserves of places like Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia, those now are by far you know, the biggest oil brokers in the market, along with Russia. So, um, And when you see when BP is willing to go back into Libya and make a giant investment in looking for new oil there, I mean, they, that's, that's a huge risk. Libya can kick them out at any moment and take everything they've done and give them nothing. And this happens over and over again in the oil world. Well, it shows you how much BP values proven reserves if they're actually willing to go hand-in-hand with Libya, a place that threw them out before and basically cost them all their investments of the past. They're actually willing to go back in there and trust these guys again. So I wouldn't play those, those oil companies long-term uh, forever, but uh, certainly if, if the price of oil goes up, so do their income statements and uh, so will their stock prices. What are some of the areas that would be benefiting from the, the trend to higher gasoline and oil prices? You know, any, anybody who has to deal with um, in, uh, renewable energy, and by that I mean proven renewable energy being wind and solar, and I would look at, uh, you know, the companies who make the equipment, of course, and there's been a big run on solar companies over the last several months. Uh, I'm not sure I'd jump into that category just right now, but I do think long-term, that it holds a lot of promise. And I also think you're going to start to see a lot of service companies pop up that deal 
specifically uh, with keeping up some of these giant wind fields uh, that we have that have come online over the last uh, ten years. And of course, as we build out more and more wind capacity, or companies that keep up some of these solar fields, you know, there's a lot of services industry that's going to be built around the renewable energies industry. And I think that, in a lot of ways, is going to be more stable than jumping on the guys who actually make, say, the thin film that goes in the photovoltaics. Because that, that kind of industry, you, have, you can have a new company in China sweep in and knock you right off your horse. Uh, whereas services industry, in some of these cases, uh, is going to be a lot more stable. What would be some of the industries you'd avoid that are going to get hurt by rising gasoline prices? <laughs> Well, clearly the airlines, uh, but and that seems very obvious. But you know, there's some kind of weird soft spot that American investors have for airlines. You know, every time their fortunes kind of turn around for the better, people pile in. I mean, I don't understand it. Why anyone would ever buy a share of American or United, unless they're just it, it's purely speculative over the next month or so, and they think for some weird reason the price is going to go up. But long-term, owning an airline stock, I mean, I, I can't, you might as well just flush your money down the toilet. Uh, they, they've never proven that their models make money long-term. All they, all they do is lose money. And the, at a future of higher gas prices, none of these guys are going to make money. I mean, you, you're, it's, it's Russian roulette because there's only going to be a couple left. Um, you're guessing it'll be Southwest and JetBlue, but we really don't know. So I would stay away from airline stocks. That seems like... Uh, Really banal advice, but people are buying them. I don't know who these people are. And then, how about the car companies? That's a tough call. I, I don't, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I think I think the next two years will tell us a lot. Um, right now, I obviously Chrysler is, is the most sickly of the three car makers. I think GM uh, has a lot going for it, uh, and certainly Ford has proven that its management has been more adept. Uh, during current times than the other two. In about a minute we have left, you, you end the book in a very kind of positive way in saying that all these uh, huge changes are really going to be a positive for the way we live. Kind of ex explain how that would work. Well, you know, I do think that in some, of the, in some of the things, there's a large opportunity here for America to reassert itself as uh, the number one uh, country in the world when it comes to technology, when it comes to emerging uh, emerging markets, and I, I think that we have to seize that, and I think I think we will. I also think that people shouldn't worry too much about where their lives are going. I do think people will be surprised at how well we adapt and how well we have adapted over the years. People people tend to be afraid of change. I think people are going to be surprised at how well America copes the future of higher oil prices. Very good. Well, it's really fascinating. Uh People should take a look at the, uh, Chris Steiner's new book called $20 Per Gallon, How the Inevitable Rise of the Price of Gasoline Will Change Our Lives for the Better. Thanks very much for being on the show, Chris. Thank you. And we'll be back again next week. Take a look at this book. Bye-bye. for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.